Good afternoon. I'm Wendy Luger, the university librarian, and wonderful to see such a packed house. We're scrambling for chairs, which is something that we welcome. That's a good sign. So welcome to the sixth annual Pancake Poetry event. And this is an annual gathering that was founded in honor of librarian Marcia Pancake, who is here this evening somewhere. Uh, there she is. <laughs> Throughout the years, Marcia demonstrated her love of poetry by presenting a special reading each year in April for Poetry Month. And when she retired in 2007, we decided to continue the tradition and to do it in her honor. The very first poet in the series was Jim Lenfesti, who we'll hear from in a moment, followed by Lewis Jenkins, Hyde Erdrich, Ed Bach Lee, and Joyce Sutton last year. And this year is our honor to present Professor Emeritus and great library's friend, Michael Dennis Brown, whose archives are here in the libraries in our upper Midwest literary archives, right here in Anderson Library in the caverns beneath us. So I want to make sure that we thank Marcia for inspiring us, and then when we look forward to the inspiration we're about to have as well. I also want to thank Malika Grant, who's our librarian in English Literature and African American Studies, who organizes this wonderful event each year. And also to acknowledge Cecily Marcus, who is our curator for the Upper Midwest Literary Archives. And it was her staff who created the exhibit that's out in the area, um, in the atrium. And I hope you'll have a chance to look at that. And thanks also to the School of Music for their help in promoting the event, and to Kathy saltzman Romy and the university singers who we'll be hearing from a little bit later. Now tonight's program is also uh, sponsored, or today's program rather, is sponsored by the Friends of the University Libraries. And I, I'm not gonna make you show your hands if you are a friend, but suffice it to say, if you're not a friend, you really should join. We have wonderful <laughs> programs such as this that they put together. Uh, I really urge you to join. And there's of course materials in the lobby that you can sign. Sign up right tonight. So to introduce today's speaker, uh, we've invited Friends board member and poet, uh, Jim Lanfesti. Jim is a friend indeed and well known to many and an enthusiastic advocate for writing and writers and founder of the popular Literary Witness program at Plymouth Congregation Church. He's equally fervent in his work for the environment and for the Native American community. And beginning in 2005, Jim spearheaded the library's fundraising campaign to acquire the archives of Minnesota's first poet laureate, Robert Bly. Mm -hmm. And after a career in academia and advertising and journalism, he's gone on to publish four books of poetry, reviews and articles, personal essays. Truly a man of many interests and many talents, and we're so grateful that he shares those talents with us in the libraries. So please join me in welcoming what a joy and an honor to be here at the sixth annual pancake lecture and to be here now as a member i got shanghaied into this and i couldn't be happier to be a member of the board of the friends of the university library my shanghai er is right there uh, she called me one day and said you're in i said you're in what I said, you're on the board of the and here I am, and it's been a great joy. But and, it's, and today, we're celebrating very specifically the Marcia 
Marcia loved literature, famously so, and loved poetry, and that's why this series occurred. She's sitting next to her husband, John, and knew all about, knows all about music, and what could be better than today to have this marriage of the two and this, in this <laughs> setting celebrating the work of Michael Dennis Brown. Um, so, the New York Times today, Nick Kristoff's column begins with this. The headline, Starving for Wisdom, and the opening sentence is from the great uh, entomologist E.O. Wilson. We are drowning in information and starving for wisdom. Where is wisdom? Where do you find wisdom? In this room. Where do you find wisdom? In the body. Where do you find love? The love of literature that brings us all here. It's in the body. Where do you find the love of music? Where is it? It's in the body. And uh, Michael and I, just on Monday night, were part of a wonderful program celebrating the life and career of Robert Bly. And Robert Bly famously wrote an essay 50 years ago, I'll take a guess, called The Wrong Turn in American Poetry. And what he was talking about was that we took the poetry into the head and we took it out of the body. And so he made the decision, I'm going I'm to bring poetry back into the, into the body through the psyche. And he came up with the idea of the deep image. We'll use the deep image. We, we, will, we will sit at the foot of a plant and live forever like the dust. There's another, there are a few other ways, but not a lot of ways, to keep the poetry and the music in the body. And one of them is the way that Michael Dennis Brown is a genius of, and that's, the, that's music. Music is in the body, and this guy is a genius of the music of our language. Uh, it's just unbelievable. In his, the first poem here, in his selected poems, which is written to his son Peter, who is now how old? 31, and he was a toddler when written, begins, Peter sleepwalks, and is my brother. Not knows why, but does, not knows why, but is. And it ends, oh, let us in, we are all asleep, we are all asleep, let us in. Now I'll tell you, repetition of that kind is something they just say, don't do it in prose. In poetry, it's music. And it's all through Michael's work, and it's just the most marvelous thing is from then, of course, to now, as we celebrate tonight, his newest book called The Voices, which is full of librettos of the kinds of things he's done, in addition to some beautiful poems. So it's a great honor to tell you his story and to bring him up here and to have this music rise up around us and enter our bodies through Michael's work. He came to the United States in 1965 from England, born in 1940. Parents, he makes sure we know this, and this is a curious thing, you might want to beard him later. Uh, uh, three of his ancestors were Irish, so he's not claiming that English thing as much as he might. Um, and uh, ran into, he told me this just Wednesday, or I got this into my head just Wednesday night. How many of you knew or knew of the great English professor Chester Anderson? I met him just once or twice along the way. Well, Michael, Mike, Michael ran into him, and of all places, Helsinki, and he said, you ought to go to the Iowa Writers Workshop, and that's why he's here today. <laughs> Isn't that an amazing story? So he did go to the Iowa Writers Workshop, and he's, he's, he's taught many places, but we're very honored in the fact that he came to the University of Minnesota and for 39 years taught here. Uh, uh, he served a term as director of the Creative Writing Program and was a member of the Academy of Distinguished Teachers, and that surprises nobody. I've met many of his students, and they all just go, it was the best class they ever had. Uh, 
he has a whole variety of publications, most of them with Carnegie Mellon University. And those of you who don't know this, it's one of the best, if not the best poetry, consistent publisher of poetry in the United States, always doing Michael's work. But what's really happened in the last few decades is his, his, his efflorescence as a librettist. And many of you know all the work he did with Stephen Paulus, including the work with the Minnesota Orchestra for their post-Holocaust oratorio, To Be Certain of the Dawn, which has had over 20 performances with or orchestras and with voices all over the country. And it's off to Israel, I think, soon. And many others. In fact, one, and, and the libretto for that is in his new book, The Voices. Uh, there's a beautiful libretto called Seven Words, uh, which is in which was just performed at Plymouth Congregational Church in the last few weeks. So uh, this man has music in his bones. Music, I think, goes is is in the slosh of our cells. Think of this: we all emerge from the amniotic fluid sloshing around. And before that, we emerge from the sea, sloshy from the sea, and those waves go back and forth on the shore. And, and so that kind of rhythm is essential to who we are in the body. And I don't know if there's a poet alive who has more rhythm in his bones than Michael Dennis Brown. Thank you for being here, Michael. Lisa, 
my daughters Mary and Nellie for their wonderful support over the years. Um, uh, two of the uh, four composers whose music you'll hear are here today. The great Dale Warren is here. And Ruth. We'll conclude this reading with um, my saying the text, and then we'll sing Dale's setting of that text. And is the great Abby Bettinas here? Yes. Abby, wonderful. If I may ask, are you on your own or do you have company? I have my parents. Well, there's one seat there. They could sit on your lap, maybe. But... Okay. So I'm just so honored to be involved all these years with composers. Fifty years ago, I was a young Englishman teaching English and a substitute teacher in a school waiting to take the boat from Southampton to the um, to United States, hoping to contribute something. If you told me what my career was going to be like, teaching at this wonderful institution, working with these incredible composers, I wouldn't quite have believed it. So I'm going to read some poems and we're going to hear some music. Now this will not be an interminable reading. I once went to hear the great Allen Ginsberg read over in Willie Hall. Oh yeah, right. So he read for about 45 minutes and said, well, we'll take a break. And when we come back, I'll read the long one. So I fled into the night. And I see David Evan Thomas here, and I see my friend Dave and Bob, and I see, I see um, just so many friends here. Jim Moore, did I say Jim Moore? No. Anyway, I'm really honored to see you here, Joyce Lyon, a lot of dear friends here. Um, so here's the order of things. Um, first slides of myself as a child. <laughs> My usual empty threat. The, the choir is going to sing three times. I'm going to say the lyrics to the first two pieces, then you will hear them. Then I'm going to read some poems, and then I'll read two more lyrics, and they will sing them. And then at the very end, we will hear the, the last of the five settings, which is Dale's setting of a poem that I wrote for him when his, the Dale Warren singers retired. So here are the two sets of lyrics. Um, and I've written an essay called Words for Music that suggests that when you write words for music, which is my great joy to do, it's like building a boat, not a house. You build it strong but buoyant, so when the music comes, it will lift it. If you write too heavy, like in a sense of regular poem, it'll just get flooded. So there's an art to writing lighter but, and strong at the same time for music. That's my, at least my uh, ambition to, to, to write. This is called Carol of the Stranger. It's the first of uh, two pieces I've done so far with the great Abby Bettinas. And it, she came to the house and it got written really fast. I'm not going to tell you what it means. You can read it in the book and stay up all night and puzzle over it. But um, one of my own phrases is, uh, a poem is an opportunity for the reader to imagine. So I give you some ingredients and then you cook them on up. So I'm going to read this and the other piece, and then you will hear uh, the wonderful singers, to whom I'm so grateful. Carol the Stranger. Peace and grace be to this house, where all are welcomed in. Receive the guest, receive the heart. Tell the stranger, tell. Tell the stranger what you cannot tell, those who love you and desire you. 
your joy tell. Make tall your walls, make long these beams who once believed alone. Make wide the circle, feed the fire, tell the silence, tell. Tell the silence what you cannot tell, those who love you and desire your joy, tell. Blessings be upon this place, that every wound be healed, every secret, every dream, tell the angel, tell. Tell the angel what you cannot tell, those who love you and desire your joy, tell. Peace and grace be to this house, all will be revealed, that every soul be called your own. Tell the mystery, tell. Tell the mystery what you cannot tell, those who love you and desire your joy. Tell. That's the first. And as I wrote also in that essay, most words for music on the page are about as interesting as boats on sand. <coughs> They're not in the element they were built for. This second one is called Song of Gratitude by a wonderful composer based in Austin called Craig Heller Johnson. We've done two pieces together so far with plans to do more. And um, it was for an ACDA conference, American Choral Directors Association. And as my memory is, he asked for a, a, a piece on the theme of gratitude. And he wanted it to be strophic, which means every verse has the same rhythm. You have the same tune, like hymns. And so there's not much subtext. This is kind of very extroverted, stalwart, unmysterious piece of writing with, as you'll hear, a great tune. You know, I have to put my glasses on because fonts aren't what they used to be. <laughs> <laughs> Although I kind of know most of my stuff. But kind of is not good enough. Dear Robert Bly, whom we celebrated the other night, once came to my class and said, this poem was about as exciting as saying, I almost went to Hawaii once. <laughs> okay. Out of this love, this is called Song of Gratitude. Out of this love, out of this longing, out of these voices from all of the ages, out of these songs, out of the singing, lifting our souls, lifting our being. Heart, you are everywhere, deeper than dreaming. In the name of the spirit of love, always and everywhere, we bow down, bow down, namaste. Namaste means I bow to the light or the divinity within you. It's a traditional greeting. Within the source, within the center, within the telling of rising and falling, falling and rising, within the root, within creation, harvest of waves, Dancing, redeeming. Hope you flow everywhere, healing our hunger. In the name of the spirit of love, always and everywhere, we bow down, we bow down. Namaste. Harmony flesh. Harmony treasure. Harmony human forever returning. Harmony path. Harmony vision. Blessing our way. Endless beginnings. Light, you shine everywhere, shaping our wonder. In the name of the spirit of love, always and everywhere, we bow down, we bow down, namaste. So we're now going to hear uh, the wonderful University Singers, conducted by Kathy Salzman Rowe. Oh, no, I'll give you this. We're swapping, I forgot. And I'll turn my microphone on. 
So can I just say while the singers are assembling what a thrill it is for us to be here and to share this music with you and the beautiful poetry of Michael Dennis Brown. And just so you know that when he came and visited our rehearsal, it was one big love fest. So he would read and I would cry, we would sing and he would cry. <laughs> and hopefully all those tears are gone and now it's just joy and love in sharing this music together.
by Abby Bettinas, second piece by Craig Johnson. Neither has yet been recorded, but will be. Um, both are published. You can see why I feel so lucky. And being Irish of origin, you can see that I have bladders for eyes. Minnesota has been a great home to me, the university, my connection with musicians here, the archives. I can't believe the, some of the people I'm in the archives with, not that I claim virtue or association, but there are some good folks there. I'm going to read you um, three sections from Seven Last Voices. Uh, ten years ago in the winter, I was asked if I would read at House of Hope Church, with, with which Stephen and I had a big connection to the opera, the, the, the Three Hermits, a wonderful opera based on the Tolstoy, which concludes with the great Pilgrim's Hymn, a probably best-known work. And they said, would you read and choose some poems to read in between the playing by a string quartet of Haydn's Seven Last Voices of Our Savior on the Cross, which is a famous piece by Haydn. Not my favorite composer, but this piece is a real keeper. I said I would, and I went looking for the usual suspects, you know, Emily Dickinson and whoever else, John Donne. But then it happened in my own life that I had some surgery in January that year and was at home on medical leave, and I thought I'll write my own. So I worked quite hard and wrote seven pieces. And I'll read, read you three of them. Um, if you want to hear them, I'm just going to read three. There is a recording on uh, American Public Media, Performance Today, Seven Last Voices. I did a studio recording, and it's not a bad one. But here you'll get a little sample of it. Um, I'm going to read parts three, four, and seven. So each one ha has an epigraph, um, a phrase from what Jesus was said to have said on the cross. So this one is, uh, Woman, behold your son. Mulier ece filios tuus. So it's called Mother. And I intend it to be a little bit ironic. I don't love, I, I love some of W.H. Jordan, but I certainly learned irony from him in some, in some layer of my personality. And in this scene, Mary, the Virgin Mary, Mother of God, Our Lady, as I was raised to believe in her in England, um, is standing at the foot of the cross. And Jesus says to her, pointing to James, the beloved disciple, Mother, behold your son. And she says, she says kind of, Excuse me? I have this going on, and now I've got to take on this? So that's what the center of the poem is. So Mary says this. I thought I had my son in this life. And now, give me another. When did you ever not surprise me? It was not always an amazement I would have chosen. But each time, like a dream, it was there, and I belonged. Do I hold this one to my heart? Is this what I must do? As if forgiveness were not already enough, already so much. Now, this. Was there ever a time you did not ask of me more than I thought I could do? I've never dreamed myself as large as you presume me to be. Really, there are only so many rooms. You never let me live my only life. You never did. But in all you've asked of me, I did not fail you, and I will not now. Even now, though this is hardest, here in this place where you suffer so. 
When I said yes so long ago to be your mother, I was young, young. How could I have known what this would ask of me? And could this be the last asking as you die before me? I hardly think so. I never knew how much could break in me and still be green. And now you say, my son, behold your son. You cannot ask it, and you do. Here I am. So that's Mary. The fourth is called Tsunami. The epigraph, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Eli, Eli, or Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. The speaker is a woman who has suffered incredibly in the tsunami that hit Malaysia, Indonesia, other countries in December of uh, 2004, about a month before I wrote this. So I'm imagining what this woman, this mother who'd lost all, everything would say. So it's a persona, it's a mask. And it's a long kind of prose-like lines. And in a piece about belief, just as when Jesus said, why have you abandoned me? Uh, it's, a, it's an opportunity, in a sense, to, to express unbelief. Yeah. Where was God in this? That question we hear about the Shoah, where was God in the camps? Where is God in the cancer? So this uh, woman is speaking out her, her, her anguish. The sea has taken everything. What has the sea not taken? The sun looks like a scar. The birds like scars in the branches where there is any kind of tree. Why is there nothing? The something as it just was was never so much. Why is there now nothing? Why is there another day after this one, then another, then another? What are the nights for? Yet I prefer the sky dark, so I never expect a sun. I prefer the poor light of stars. Dark or light, there is nothing left to dream. My God, my God, I cannot begin to ask what you were thinking. I cannot begin to dare to imagine that you might have turned away just a moment from the world even that you were beginning to think of a different world, wearying of this one. I cannot believe that for even a moment you drew back your heart from us. Why then this heartlessness? We've been betrayed not only by the sea, but especially the sea. Everything we had broken, everything known. Lord, you, even you, even if you are there in some lost corner of my heart, calling like a mad bird, I do not hear you. Instead, I call and call. Am I still your bird, even if I'm a mad one? Mother, mother of my mother, mothers. Can you tell me anything beyond my own question with its thousand mouths? Why? When I was a child, always they told me there was light, that the light was real but hidden. And now, hidden is beating its drum, its drum, its drum. Then the last little piece, uh, set number seven, 
called Pantocrator, Lord, creator of all. Father, into your hands I let go my spirit. In the manus tuus domine, commendo spiritual meum. This is not a persona. You know, when there's an I, well, it's not an I here, but when there's a speaker, you can't presume it's the poet. It could be uh, an assumed voice. So this may be me, or it may not. <laughs> but it's, it's a very devout, it, it's, it's uh, someone approaching death, speaking to the divine. There's a little phrase in here, not that, not that. It's a phrase I love. It's from, originally from the Sanskrit. It means neti, neti. It means not this, not this. Any way you try to describe the divine is not what it is. It's like if you meet the Buddha on the road, kill him. Can't be the Buddha. Can't be the Buddha. And in theology, there's the via positiva and the via negativa. Positiva means you can image God as a lamb or a, a judge. But in the via negativa, which is in a lot of Eastern thought, but also in Christian thought, it means anything you can say is beyond the words. You know, the finger pointing to the moon is not the moon. So this is called a Pantocrator, and it's not a persona. The U, the U in the poem is uh, capitalized, capital Y, so you know what that means. What did not begin with you? What goes back to you has always been with you. In your hands we say, but not that, not that. We know you are spirit that there are no hands, and when were we ever not in them? How do we return to you? Ground of our being, not that, not that. Ruler of all, not that, not that. Though father, we say, though mother, since from the first breath, we have loved those names. In our need, in our joy, we have spoken to you little intimate conversations, who knew us since before we were born. Nothing we would not say to you, who know all the rivers we are. Nothing in us that does not flow to you. Into your hands, though your hands are the sky. Into your heart, though your heart is all flowers. See, we cannot imagine you. And since we cannot imagine you, immensity. Forgive us then. With what does not die, with what in us does not know how to die, we come like children, like leaves before the wind, father, mother, to you. Um, I'm going to thank you for listening. I'm going to cut a couple of things. I think that's important to cut things. <laughs> God knows working with composers, I had to learn to. <laughs> we have an old, wonderful cottonwood in our yard. You know what's wrong with the cottonwood is a yard tree. It's very messy. It sheds. And if you're a librettist, you've got to feel sort of like a cottonwood because things get locked off by those composers. <laughs> anyway, before the singers sing again, I'm going to uh, read, say the words of the two pieces. And these are by beloved Stephen Paulus. I talk to him every day, pray for him every day. I miss him, but he's alive in the music. There's a little poem by Vincent Vincent Millay that occurred to me when, I, when he died. It's to, to a young poet who died. It's simply six lines. 
Time cannot break the bird's wing from the bird. Bird and wing together go down one feather. No thing that ever flew, not the lark, not you, can die as others do. A great little poem. So Stephen lives, he lives in his music. Next week, out in California and Oregon, I will get to hear the 20th, 20th and 21st performances of the oratorio. That's something in less than 10 years. So I'm very proud of Stephen, wherever he is. Uh, this piece, first piece that singers will sing, is called Hymn to the Eternal Flame. If you look at the book, you'll say Hymn of the Eternal Flame, because that's my error. And I can't describe the whole oratorio to you, but earlier in the work, we see slides of Jewish children from the 1930s in the streets and the shuttles, and the singers sing as though they were those characters. And then the fifth one, we show the children's memorial at Yad Vashem in Jerusalem, and they sing Hymn to the Eternal Flame. And uh, this is once described to me by Rabbi uh, Barry Citron. A single flame lights up, and then all over the ceiling, millions of pieces of glass, mirrors, reflect back the flame. So it's like a million constellations. Or maybe it's the million and a half Jewish children who were murdered during the Shoah. Has anybody been there? I wish to go there. If they take the production there, I'll get there somehow. So this is... Um, very simple writing, and I didn't know what melody Stephen would put to it. And there's a lovely melody in the piece based on you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But with a little tweaking of my words, a little cotton wooding, <laughs> Stephen got it to fit. So it just goes like this. Hymn to the eternal flame. Every face is in you, every voice, every sorrow in you, every pity, every love, every memory woven into fire. Every breath is in you, every cry, every longing in you, every singing, every hope, every healing, woven into fire. Every heart is in you, every tongue, every trembling in you, every blessing, every soul, every shining, woven into fire. And the second piece is called The Road Home, which a lot of people seem to know and sing if you Go on the web, YouTube, Stephen Paulus wrote home, you can find all these pieces. Um, one of the great times of my life was when Stephen called me over to the house and said that Dale has commissioned me to take an old tune and write new words, to, uh, write a, a new arrangement, new harmonies. And would you write the words for it? So he, he played the tune, I'm not a musician, on the piano, I recorded it, and walked around the river road for a couple of weeks with the dog, kind of murmuring to myself. People would say, there goes that guy again. <laughs> so, but I came up with this, 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 these words. And it's, it's extraordinary to think that you've got a, it's like Pilgrim's Hymn, the melody came first. That you've got a tune here, a melody that will live. And you, buddy, get to write the words. So it's scary, and it's a great privilege. It's a great privilege. Both our dads, Stephen and mine, were organists. Eddie and Harry. <laughs> Never met, but they were organists. I was raised on music. And I love what Dryden says at the beginning of the older St. Cecilia's Day. From harmony, from heavenly harmony, that universal frame began. I believe that. A. Hausman says, the poet harmonizes the sadness of the world. 
So this is uh, The Road Home. It's a great old tune from 1835, redone by Stephen, thanks to Maestro. Tell me, where is the road I can call my own? That I left, that I lost so long ago. All these years I have wandered. Oh, when will I know there's a way, there's a road that will lead me home? After wind, after rain, when the dark is done, as I wake from a dream in the gold of day, through the air there's a calling from far away. There's a voice I can hear that will lead me home. Rise up, follow me, come away, is the call. With the love in your heart is the only song. There is no such beauty as where you belong. Rise up, follow me, I will lead you home. I will hear the singers. Stephen Falls.
always want to do a reading like this, when I read a few things and we hear one little singing of some of the composers I've been privileged to work with. Since I'm not a musician, but I get to be around musicians. They're pretty naughty people sometimes, those musicians. <laughs> now, I'm winding down a little bit here. Um, I do write uh, quite a few shorter poems, and I'm going to read a little bit of those, and then finish with one other piece, and then we'll hear the, the set, Dale's setting of the voices. Um, a friend who's here today said that she thought this collection was pretty elegiac, and there are elegies, but there's also joy in it. But there comes a time in life when um, the elegy seems what occurs to you. So here are three short elegies. The first one is for my beloved friend Chester Anderson, whom I met in Helsinki, indeed, as Jim said, he tells the truth. In uh, 1963, we became buddies, and he said to me, you should go to America, be a poet. And I was a good place. So thanks to him, I've had this whole amazing life with this amazing family and friends. And extraordinary. Chester died. And Chester was like a father to me in many ways. And it turns out his birthday was the same birthday as my dad, December the 8th, Feast of the Immaculate Conception. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Daughter returns. <laughs> we used to have a, a I used to put, I put a sign on Mary's room when she lived at home from a newspaper. It said, middle child needs attention. <laughs> um, so Chester died on May 29th, 2006 in Abbott Northwestern. They were visiting with his wife Carol from Florida. He has suffered a stroke. And it was just me and him in the room, and I was reading Yeats to him, Lapis Lazuli, and he stopped reading. So I wrote two poems about him. This is the second one, and I'm not sure I got it quite clear enough. <coughs> you know, an opportunity for the reader to imagine, yes. <coughs> Coleridge says, a poem is best when generally not perfectly understood. <laughs> so I think there's enough here for you to work with. I'll give you one more quote, because I, I know I'm retired, but I like quotes still. I love quotes. <laughs> Ortega y Gasset, a Spanish writer. This to me is really helpful. So many things fail to interest us, because they don't find in us enough surfaces on which to live. And what we have to do then is to increase the number of planes in our mind, so that a much larger number of themes can find a place in it at the same time. So that a, a flock of birds looking for a place for the night will not land on a tree with two branches. They need a tree with maybe a, a bigger, good old oak with plenty of surfaces. Now, I'm not flattering my poem by saying you need to grow more planes, but this is slightly, if you know that it's written about reading a poem to a friend who stopped breathing during the poem, that's a little unfair kind of crib for the poem. So it's called The Old Man in the Poem, and the bottom it says Chester Anderson, 1923-2006. You are the old man in the poem. You are the old poem who went on beyond the words, beyond the breath. Little wishbone of a breastbone, ceasing its negligible motion. I am who kept saying the words to you, who went on into the no breath beyond the poem's breathing and your friend, who wear now what you wore. Now wrap your robe around me as wind rattles windows. 
easily rattle the window and the reader. But never you're beyond of breath, nor ever the saying, the singing, that so long ago once we were dreamed into being. I don't know about that. I did my best. <laughs> the second piece is called October Prayer. It's for Dietrich Reinhardt OSB. He was the president of St. John's Abbey, diagnosed in the fall with brain cancer, was dead within two months. And he was a lovely man, holy man. And I wrote this October Prayer. Uh, it's, it's for him. little epigraph. When it seems there is so much to be done, and how little there is I can do. I come to become the cottonwood's wrinkled bark, and not the millions of crows I once would have been straining their raw voices so high in the tree of life. Help me, help me again, my only God. When I was a young poet and I was city in the 60s, I used to walk around thinking I was the center of the universe. A friend made me a cloak. I wore a cloak. <laughs> Which now hangs in our closet, and it's good for trick-or-treating. So you want to borrow that cloak, but I wore it for a while. And you know, I was a, I, I've forgiven myself for a lot of stuff I did when I thought I was the cat's you-know-what. <laughs> Third little elegy is called Shall We Gather? That's, of course, a famous, a famous uh, uh, hymn. And uh, uh, Jim, James Wright has a wonderful poem. Um, and it says, Highway 35 Bridge, August 2007, Minneapolis. The bridge right there. We came back from the cabin the day after that terrible disaster. And when I used to go to work across the bridge, You'd see all the bits of the bridge that they, you may remember, the twisted limbs of the bridge. So a little elegy called, Shall We Gather? Where twisted lengths of girders lie along the river bank, they seem like scraps of sky that dropped, dragging its birds with them. And these were people, unknown, loved, who flew a while as everyone dreams to do in this world of falling. And in the book, there are a bunch of little short poems. I, I love the short poem. And um, I'll just read you a couple. Uh, the, the title of the section elegantly is Shorts. <laughs> is a, this is called Forest of Dean, my dear beloved mother. We're in a wonderful forest in the southwest of England called Forest of Dean. A lot of bluebells in the spring. Our mother walks into the trees until we see her no more. We follow, walk where she walked, bend to touch the flowers. She grows as she goes. Just a little piece. This is about our son Peter, River. One day the midwife bent over and was busy. And then my river of a boy began. <laughs> this is to my wife. Oh, and I've explained to my daughter Mary, who's here, that I'm not going to read her wedding poem that's in the book. I'm just not going to do it. Ne next reading. 
uh, or for Nelly, no. I, I do have a, I have nice poems for them both in other books. Be satisfied. <laughs> this is from my beloved wife, Lisa, just a tiny poem called To You. Now I look long into your eyes as I have never done before. Eyes brown as an owl's wing. I see avenues, avenues. We should go walking there. And um, this is called Dogs. As you know, I've had some spectacular dogs, starting with Snow Dog, White German Shepherd. I wrote a silly poem called Paranoia that I'm embarrassed by now, but it had one line that said, this is when I was strutting around in my cloak. <laughs> um, Everywhere you go, the dog goes with you. Beautiful women come up to you and ask for the dog's telephone number. <laughs> but this is, this is called dogs. It's not funny. Dogs. I remember I have forgotten our old dogs. Like a prayer I've been too lazy to say. Now, once again, here they are, running along in the dark. This, these two are supposed to be humorous. This is called your hair. I love your hair. I love how your hair shines. I love how your hair rose across the Atlantic. Now, I know that's strange, but <laughs> I, I'm, I'm like strange. And this is called Invitation. Um, not, oh, here it is. I've been invited to the White House to a ceremony in the Rose Garden to receive a medal for anxiety. <laughs> I'm not going. <laughs> you are too kind. Now, to finish, I'm going to read two poems, uh, which the second is the text that Dale set. But I do want to read one more poem that's been written for music that um, this is for our son Peter, who's absent, Mary and Nellie's brother, who's just a gorgeous young man. Some years ago, I had a call from Craig Heller Johnson, who's based in Austin, has his great choir conspirari, who wrote Song of Gratitude, that rousing, beautiful melody. And he said, I need a piece for male choir. Can you think of some pieces? Um, that you could recommend. So I thought of the usual suspects, you know, as I did for the uh, seven last voices before I wrote my own. In the middle of the night, I did the bad thing. I got up and began to write. You should not reward yourself for insomnia. I've been told that by experts. <laughs> but I've had some good times in the middle of the night. So I wrote and wrote drafts and drafts on my clipboard. And the next afternoon, I sent it to Craig, a guy I hardly knew but esteemed. I'd rarely done that, something so fast. And eventually he set it to music, and it was performed, and it's been published by Shermer, the same people who published Dale's piece. Not been recorded uh, yet, but you can actually catch it. There's a weird little thing called um, Colorado All-State Chorus. And if you fl click on it, it's just a fixed camera. You can see these guys singing this piece. Now, it's called for the young men to sing, but it's called We Are in the book. Uh, not in the book, on the music, because it was premiered by the Texas Choral Directors choir. Some of those guys are not young. But I got, uh, I got um, uh, Craig's permission to put the, the old uh, version back. I think I say in the acknowledgments, it's published as we are.
So I was trying to imagine what it's like to be a young man, the, the kind of boldness of being young again as I was once, am inside, I hope still, and also the, the challenges in the world of being a young man. So I wrote this, and it really is a wonderful setting. And if you can get to hear it, I, I think it, it would uh, stir you. So it's called for the young men to sing, for Peter McLean Brown. We are all sons of fathers and mothers. We are all sons singing. We are all rivers, the roar of waters. What is the world to us? Who can we be for the world? There is a star at morning and one at evening. They are no more the names we give them than we are. Everything singing beyond itself, beyond the names we love, O oh love, to give them. Everything swelling beyond its powers, everything lifted up in the singing. We are sparks that scatter to the world. From original fire we come. We are the flow of sky and its unfolding. We are hundreds of hoofbeats on hard ground. Sometime no home for us on the earth. No place to lay our heads. If you could know for one moment how it is to stand in our bodies within the world. You ask too much of us. You ask too little. Everything brimming in us. Everything dark in its barrel. We are be. We are become. We are bless. We are dream. We are all sons singing. It's a great setting. And actually, we added four lines from D.H. Lawrence I've always loved. Craig said, let's put those in, too. So if you hear it, you'll hear D.H. Lawrence, too. It should be on a CD soon, I would imagine. So I just want to renew my thanks before I say the last text uh, for everybody who made this possible. It's a, like a dream for me to read with the music with Kathy, whom I revere, the shameless Kathy, <laughs> the young singers. I gave each of them a, co a signed copy of the book. And some of you may or, or not buy a copy today. What I tell people is when I sign the book, I usually say, well, it's you know so-and-so amount of money, and then a nickel for the signature. <laughs> but what I say seriously is, if you read through this book and find three or four places, poems, bits of poems you like, that's enough. A lot of it will go by you. You think, well, I don't know what that's about, or why he bothered to write that. <laughs> but one thing I used to tell my students is, I revere certain poets who, in their lifetime, wrote one real poem out of how many hundreds? Think of your favorite poet and how many poems of that poet are your favorites. You know, I love maybe 27 poems by Emily Dickinson, who wrote 1,777 or something. So it's a little small percentage. So if you read poems and say, I don't get that, well, that's, I don't get most poetry either. <laughs> but I've, I've been memorizing poetry since I was little, so I carry with me. A lot of poems that I love. So this last piece is called um, The Voices, and then the singers will sing it. It's a setting by the great Dale Warland. What happened was Dale uh, directed this wonderful choir that Dale
It's for 29 years. And occasionally, I had the great privilege of appearing on stage with them and doing a reading, like a Valentine's Day reading or a Poet's Christmas. And it was a great joy, a back and forth, as we're doing today. And so I wrote something. I, when I heard he was retiring, I thought, I want to write him a poem in tribute, and I want, to, I want to call it The Voices. Now, it's dangerous to get a title ahead of the poem, but somehow I did it, I think. It says, for Dale Warland and the singers on the occasion of their farewell concert, May 30th, 2004. Now, very weirdly, a few years ago, Dale said, I've been commissioned to write something. He gets lots of commissions. I'd like to set that poem that you wrote. But I can't set it all, you know. So here's the whole, the, I should write a book, a bestseller called The Cottonwood Syndrome <laughs> by Robert Ludlam Brown. So I had to cut this poem in half. So I took, you know, stanza two, three, four, and left out one and five, or oh, not quite that order. But I took out half of it because I had to. But I'm going to read you the whole thing. It's only seven pages. And then you'll hear some of these lines. So, such, a, such a beautiful setting and such a strange synchronicity that the, 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 the genius musician for whom this was written has brilliantly set it to music. So it's called The Voices. And again, part of the backstory is that my dad raised me on music. I mean, I've always sung. And so I'm honoring the tradition of choral music and organ music that I was raised on. But the key figure here is Dale, The Voices. I don't know if we've ever deserved The Voices, but they are ours. I don't know if we've ever known what it means to be able to speak in those tongues. And only in my worst, most useless moments have I tried to imagine our lives without them. Where might we go in the world where they would not reach us? I would never go into the dark without the voices. I've come to rely on how they mend us among the ruins of what we have hoped for. If there were only one branch in the world, the voices would find it. Doubt was never the root of us. Doubt winds itself again and again around our doing, but it was never the source. Joy is the source. Foliage of joy in which the singers are hidden, but heard. Always the gate, always the garden, always the light, the shadows always the leaves. From where I stand now, I cannot see every singer. But looking out across the years, listening in ways learned only from them, I can hear all the songs.
want to thank all of you for coming, and in particular, thank you to our, our poet, to our musicians, uh, to composers all. Please join us out in the, the atrium where we have refreshments. Uh, Michael's book, Voices, will be uh, on sale out there. And, uh, bring your nickel. Bring your nickel for your autograph. Thank you all. Thank <laughs> you.